As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. I'm delighted to be here tonight in the cozy confines of Artifact Coffee to continue our Origin Speaker Series. I'm Spike Jurda, the owner of Woodbury Kitchen here in Baltimore. This gathering is intended to advance the conversation about food, its origins, and what is happening around our food system in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. We started our first restaurant, Woodbury Kitchen, with a commitment to local sourcing and now work closely with more than 60 different farmers and producers throughout the region. We supply our four restaurants and our canning and butchery operations with meat, eggs, grains, fish and shellfish, cooking oil, cheeses and produce, literally everything we need to feed our guests. The hope is that this series will shine a light on the work that this community is doing in our area. The conversation is held monthly at Artifact, our coffee shop, in the heart of the Woodbury neighborhood in Baltimore. Welcome, welcome. Uh, This is our 33rd origins and according to Gingy it's her favorite number and I I swear we didn't plan that (laughs) Um, so we're just so excited to welcome Gingy Fraser tonight and as I can see from the crowd and the response that I got I'm not sure which sold out faster the medical marijuana night or the chocolate (laughs) night There are a lot of new faces here tonight, so I just wanted to go over a couple of little guidelines um, for the discussion part of the evening. Um, We're actually recording uh, the conversation, and it will eventually live as a podcast on Heritage Public Radio. So when we get to the Q&A part of the evening, if you just could kindly raise your hand, I'll come over with the mic. It is not amplified, um, but please wait for the mic because it just helps the quality of the recording. Uh, We don't want to be like the Democratic debate last night, (laughs) if we can help it. Um, So I did a couple of, I always like to kind of find out a little about the uh, topic that we're we're discussing, and I just came up with a couple of little fun facts about chocolate tonight. (laughs) I'm sure Gingy might go over some of these, but these were kind of fun. Um, Chocolate is produced from the seeds of the, I'm going to say this wrong, Theobroma cacao tree, and it's one of the most popular flavors in the world with sales of around $100 billion per year. It takes 400 cocoa beans to make one pound of chocolate. Each cacao tree produces approximately 2,500 beans. Cacao beans were so valuable to early Mesoamericans that they were used as currency. A farmer has to wait four to five years for a cacao tree to produce its first beans. So enjoy your chocolate tonight. (laughs) Spanish royalty gave cakes of cacao in their dowries. Chocolate has over 600 flavor compounds, while red wine has just 200. I thought that one was kind of interesting. Um, So I'm sure we'll hear more fun facts, but I just wanted to go ahead and introduce our wonderful panelists tonight. Um, Delighted to welcome Gingy to Origins. I can't believe that we haven't touched on chocolate yet. We're four years into this uh, series. So Pure Chocolate by Gingy was started by Gingy and her her dad, Guy, who's in the audience tonight with us, in 2012 with the mission of helping people navigate their own wellness nutrition. From there, the business took a shape of its own, becoming a vessel for Gingy and her team to create a brand known for pushing the boundaries of chocolate through storied flavors and direct and responsible trading. Today, with a new shop on the horizon, the Gingy Chocolate Crew is reinventing themselves again with drinking chocolate, I hope you all had some of that tonight, it's unbelievable, and the arts of native women from around the world. 
So join me and uh, warm origins welcome to Gingy Fraser. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very, by our standards, that's a very warm welcome. Sometimes people <laughs> just sit here with their And I, I have to join Dana in kind of, in being a little incredulous that it took us 33 uh, origins to get you here. But I think there's a reason for that, which is that chocolate isn't really generally, you know, my conception of, of this local food system that we're a part of and what we're trying to present here at Origins. Uh, chocolate is not a big part of it, but here you are doing this since when? Uh, since 2012. And um, I first got to know you when you were getting going over there at Belvedere, right? And I got to know Guy, one of my favorite people on the whole, on the whole planet. And, um, it's, and, and, and here you're still going? Yeah, Nine, yeah. It was uh, eight years into it? Yeah, eight years ago. And I think we actually met before Belvedere. It was when um, we were doing the uh, market outside here. Union Grays, yeah. Um, and then I want to say that... Th I remember meeting you. This is what, how I remember. <laughs> is that you were doing a little tasting in a little shop down in Fells Point. And I, like, there was a sign in the window or something. And I, like, Claudette. pulled over. And I went in and I, like, met you. And you were, like, and I was just like, what is, you know, and it was... I don't know. I was really impressed in that moment and, and more impressed now as the years, years have gone by and you and Guy are doing what you're doing and it's just really, really cool. That means so much to us. I mean, it means a ton to me. I remember that moment. I remember a couple with you. There was another one at Belvedere in front of Neopole and I even remember the flavor of the bar that I gave you that day and it was like this big deal. Like, oh man, I wonder if he liked it and nah. <laughs> But well, here as, we are, so yes, I guess it was all right. Yes, and a longtime fan and longtime customer because your chocolate is the chocolate we use here yeah. at Artifact for hot chocolate, and we have it down in, at a Rake's Progress and the cup we all race for in D.C. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I, we'll get to, well, I'm looking forward to talking about that, but I kind of want to get a little darker, not a chocolate uh, pun, but because chocolate for me, and one of, my, one of my, I love chocolate, uh, and I think I share... I just love chocolate. I was a pastry chef when I got going in, 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 in cooking. Love chocolate, love chocolate to, to this day, but it is fraught, right? When you, when you kind of um, get into to chocolate kind of and how it's produced on a global scale, there are problems, right? Totally, and, and, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think it would be interesting to give us a little context uh, with, you know, and, and, and as kind of a way to contrast what, what you do you know, chocolate is chocolate production, chocolate growing. Most of it comes from Africa. There's a lot of, of, of child labor involved. There's the industry, quote unquote, has, has made little or no headway against some of the most, you know, the worst aspects of, that, of, those, of those practices. Yeah, they've made, they've made headway, all right, but for themselves. Right. I mean, um, the statistic that Dana, you gave earlier was almost right. $100 billion is what Nestle made in a year. So that doesn't even cover the industry as a whole. And then you're talking about um, uh, getting their, sourcing their um, beans from a country whose gross national, you know, uh, income is $73 billion, yet one company is making a hundred billion. Um, so that's the start of it. And unfortunately, child labor is, has become a standard in production um, and has contributed to that disparity where companies can get super, super rich and countries can stay super, super poor. Um, Spike and I were just talking talking a minute ago and it's it's the fallacy of the dollar chocolate bar right so a lot of us and a lot of questions that we get um i just had a customer the other day and it was a really difficult transaction and interaction um where it was like why does this cost this you know like why why does your one piece of chocolate cost two dollars is this really three dollars over here and yeah, it is. I mean, 
um, when we're talking about where these dollar chocolate bars are coming from, um, it, you know, that's the income of a family over two weeks is one dollar. Um, we're talking about uh, subsistence farming that is just, I mean, it's below the poverty line. It's, it's way below the poverty line, especially for the expectations of the majority of the people eating what they're producing, which is us. Um, about 90, it's something like 80 or 90% of um, the consumption of chocolate is in the States. It's here. Um, so while like 70% of the product is coming out of these different communities that have been incredibly marginalized. And they know it too, by the way. Um, nobody who's, uh, you know, nobody who's working in those conditions is under any delusion that uh, people aren't like profiting big time from what they're doing. But you know, it's a it's a system that is uh, it's slavery, it's entrapment, right. and it's it's hard to imagine a way out of that. And it's it's to me it's it's jarring when you think that a chocolate bar, this this kind of pure enjoyment that we treat ourselves and our loved ones to, you know, that's really what we're supporting. You know, a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're trying to get the dollar chocolate bar, that's what's happening. So then the next question is, well, how much should a chocolate bar that you eat cost? Well, it's kind of like if you go into a store and you see a $10 bar, a $15 bar, a $2 truffle, as was the issue at our shop the other day. Um <laughs> what would you spend on the finest bottle of wine? You know what I mean? Like you can get a bottle of wine for $10 or you can get a bottle of wine for super way more. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Caviar, forget about it. So like when we talk about luxury foods and we talk about um, wanting to enjoy uh, consumption on this higher level... Um, I think it's really a conversation that each consumer has to have with themselves, especially in this country. We have to have this conversation with ourselves and consider all of the variables uh, at play. So there's a system there that I think we can we acknowledge is terrible, and you don't want any part of it. Right. And that's that's kind of what I've, I, I how I feel about a lot of the, the the food system that we have right now. And Woodbury's been a lot of a lot of what Woodbury's been about over the last. 13 years has been trying to separate ourselves from all of these things that I just don't agree with and I don't want to support. And it feels like you've done, had a similar process. It's like you're not a part of the global commodity chocolate industry, right? Not, but also struggle with that because it's kind of like, no, I don't want to be a part of it in as far as, insofar as supporting it, like in the way that we're discussing right now. Right. But how how does one start to dismantle that which is so corrupt and so messed up? Maybe it's by, you know, spending our money the way that you and I choose to mm-hmm. do. Um, and if we can educate enough groups of people like this, then maybe you'll decide to buy this bar instead of that bar the next time you go to the store. Like, is that... Effective. It's a it's a starting place. Yeah. And then there's a lot more work to do. Yeah. But let's talk about you and what you're doing, and how, and let's let's talk let's about talk how about you. Yes. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> how how you started. What? Why chocolate? I don't know if you're gonna like this answer. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't as intentional as I would as as I like as I would like to say that it was. Um, I've I've kind of grown into my story a little bit, but it's one that I was really self-conscious about for a long time, um, which is that I didn't grow up with chocolate. It wasn't it wasn't even my favorite thing. Um, I I came into it in what I would call a really cosmic way. I think it was the time and place for me to start doing this type of work, but it was a postcard that was advertising raw chocolate classes and I literally picked it up off the ground that I was walking on and I made a phone call 
And that's how it started. I fell in love with it immediately. So it does. I don't know what's not to love about that story. I don't know. I'm so good with that. I feel like you want me to go to pastry school. No, I don't want that. I never did that. I don't want anybody. You didn't? No. 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 Well, neither did I. Good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was. it was love at first, at first sight, at first taste, and um, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't something that I ever imagined that uh, that I would be doing, for sure. So, what was the line between that that moment or that the the early the classes or, and, yeah. and and starting Gingies? <laughs> the line was two months long for one. Wow. <laughs> um, I went to a class, it was in, uh, I want to say June of 2012, and uh, Claudette at Fells, at that, I can't remember the name of it, but where we, Fleet Street Market. Yeah, right. Yes, that was, yes. Yeah. Um, was our first customer in September of 2012. It was wow. literally a couple of months later. That's amazing. I didn't know another way to do it. It was like, all right, well, I know how to do it. I'm going to sell it. And that's kind of, that's kind of what happened. And my dad and I, and my aunt also, she was a really big, she's a super big supporter, still is till this day. And um, she's not, she's in Brooklyn. She's in New York, I know. Um, So yeah, it was, it just felt like, and all of that said, I had never owned a business. I never knew anyone that owned a business. My family, no friend. I mean, it was just written for it to go this way. It's all I can say. <laughs> so chocolate is kind of, to me, chocolate is kind of a, um, it's, it's the medium, but there's, you bring a lot of other thinking to it. Which is probably a result of it not being that intentional, like, oh, I'm right. going to do it this way and only use chocolate. And So what... Like, I've noticed that you don't use any refined sugar. Right. Is the, and I remember, I, I'm not sure if this is the case, but I'd love to hear you talk about your process a little bit. I mean, you got to a different place. Is the chocolate still raw? The chocolate is still raw. And that was, that's always um, been the case. Yes. It's something I remember from the very first time we talked. Yeah. And I went, I left my head, I mean, I left scratching my head thinking like, How? Yeah, right, Why? exactly. Yeah. So, um, I guess to be totally clear, um, and totally transparent. It's unroasted is what our chocolate is. Um, it isn't raw because no chocolate is really raw because it, they're during the, I mean, I don't, just a little bit of science for you. We can take, this group can handle a little science. We can do yeah, a little yeah, bit. This, this we can geek can out a little science. bit about it. All right. Yeah. So after the cacao comes from the tree, it goes through fermentation, Right. Um, and during that fermentation period, which is about seven to nine days, kind of depending on the origin and where we are, the humidity. This is happening on the farm. Hmm? This process, the fermentation? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Um, so, but during that process, the temperature goes way above 118, which is the standard for During the raw. fermentation process. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then after that, we go into sun drying. Um, it dries in the sun for about the same period of time. Um, again, depending on humidity and where we are and all of that. Um, but, and then after that, we can start doing the processing for it. So if it's been roasted, then it would go into a roaster at that point. Um, but for us, it's unroasted. So that means a couple of different things. Um, it means we have less control over the flavor that's going to be in the end product because roasting is probably, um, after fermentation, it's probably the second step where you can really kind of alter the flavor a little bit through that process. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's the flavor basically that it was when it came from its origin. Right. Um, so we were really specific and really intentional in this way, um, selecting the country and the farms that we were going to be using because we knew that the flavor needed to be really tight. Like it wasn't going to be manipulated very much. So it had to be good from the start. Um, and, and yeah, so it's not roasted, but it also isn't raw. Got it. Yeah. 
So talk a little bit about where those beans come from. Where you- So right now, and this is going to change really soon, but right now it's from um, Ecuador. That's where all of our cacao comes from. Um, it's a really fruity flavor. Um, it's a really strong flavor. It's an unmistakable flavor. It's really, really, I mean, Do you know I what the, uh, I'm sure you do, what the variety of, there's three, right? Criollo. Yep, yep. Criollo and uh, Trinitario right. and Forestero. So this is Criollo National. Uh-huh. Um, so that's what we've been using for the last eight years. Um, and and what form does it so it comes to us. See, this is why it's going to be changing. Um, it comes to us in butter powder nibs, and then we and then then we process it from there. Um, so the actual beginning stages of the processing right now happens within the cooperative that we get our beans from. Uh-huh. Um, and that's because when we started and till this day, if anyone has been to our very big <laughs> shop, um, it's 80 square feet. We didn't really have the space for um, the processing equipment. Um, but we are, as, as Dana said in the beginning, hopefully in the next couple of months, we're going to be moving into a much bigger space, which will allow us to have the equipment to do all of the processing. But that really starts even before the you know the the getting the beans and everything breaking them down and smoothing them and all of that um it allows us to be more specific about the farms we work with too um not every farm is going to have the equipment to make butter and powder and all of that but every farm can make a bean Right. So now we can say, oh, I want to work with farms that are owned by women. Oh, I want to work with farms that are owned by families. Um, I don't want to work with a co-op because then there's this other whole fallacy with fair trade. Um, it's kind of like an organic certification, which I know that you're <laughs> very familiar with. It's like, do you have the certification or do you not because you can afford it? But, you know, so it's. It's, it comes down to affordability, but now we'll be able to do direct trade instead of fair trade, which is something that we're really looking forward to. Um, Have you been so. down there? Have you visited? So, but, okay, so when we start doing this, it's going to come from Trinidad and from Puerto Rico. Um, those are the farms that I found that, that I really dig. Why those farms? Um, one, I love the flavors. Um, th- um, I really love the heritage and the story of Trinidad. I love that it's a Caribbean, a black Caribbean island country. Um, you know, that's the birthplace of the Trinitario. You know, that's one of the one of the trifecta of beans. And it's really exciting to kind of explore a new bean after all of this time. Um met some really incredible farmers there. There's this young woman who's not much older than I am who is like the proprietress of this huge farm and just this really cool girl. So, and you're going to use... Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's Mona. So um, we're going to use hers. And then um, Puerto Rico is is a great opportunity for us just because it's so close to home mm-hmm. and um, we get to support that economy a little bit and whatever, you know, tiny bit that we will. But, you know, it's the... It's meaningful. It's meaningful. It is. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the new shop and how things are going to change for you. Um, so that's the biggest way. Doing um, bean-to-bar production is... Um, going to be a whole new bag of tricks for us. There's a lot to learn. Um, There's hopefully uh, a lot more just fulfillment from doing it this way um, for the reasons that we've already talked about, Um, just being more selective with the farmers. Um, And, you know, and the chocolate will change. You know, that's something that we've also kind of battled with. You know, we have this tried and true product that we've had out for eight years. Do we really want to mess with it that much? You know, we talk about do we want to keep some of it like this and some of it like this? Because we just it's hard to imagine letting go of it altogether. But it's harder to imagine not growing and evolving. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so hopefully you'll all come with us and and um, witness this uh, witness this. Is it gonna? Is it still gonna be round? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. Think How did so. you land on a round bar? Because why not? <laughs> That's what I thought. It was as simple as that. I don't know if my dad has another answer for that, but it was just why not? And also that was like the mold that I could find. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but I think that that's going to change to a more um, a more traditional shape, but probably in a smaller size. We like a smaller size bar, um, and one that breaks in triangles. Okay. Right? Because when you break a bar, it's like in a triangle, not really like a square, like how some bars are like. I could see that. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll be. I'll look forward to that. Um, well, I, I really want to. One of my things I was really looking forward to with this conversation was getting to talk to you about chocolate and the way that you use it, I think, as a way to tell stories. You use it a way, as a way to advocate to, for communities and, for, and to explore this. I, cho- chocolate is especially, I think, great as a way to explore these histories. What an opportunity. Um, yeah, um, it's, it had to be that way. It would have never been enough for us to just make chocolate. Um, as beautiful an ingredient as it is, as complex of a story as it has in and of itself, complex a history as it has in and of itself, it would have never been enough. I mean, we're living in a time that there's just so much opportunity to have an oppositional voice and to um, advocate for people, for things, for situations. And I think that any artist, can I call myself an artist? I think you can. Um, Any artist has to use that as a platform and as a requirement. Um, I, so as much of a choice as it's been, I think that we were required to do something or say something through our craft. Um, you know, at the shop, we say all the time, uh, Jonathan's here tonight. He and I work together on everything. And... Um, we just always say that it has to have a story. It doesn't go in the case if it doesn't have a story. Every piece that we put in the case, it's just another opportunity to either speak to a situation that we like, don't like, love, don't love. I mean, it's just any any example. I would love to hear like how a story, either how a chocolate that you worked on came from us, the story that it came from, or how that is expressed. So Valentine's Day, since that just passed, I'll, I'll go to that. And this year, actually, we did a little bit less of this um, in particular. But um, I remember that the first piece of chocolate that one of the first pieces of chocolate that Jonathan made into just like totally independently, um, it was called Harbor. And it told the story and you could just taste it as it just melted and unfolded. But it told the story of the, of a safe Harbor of a place or a thing or a person that you go to and that you, um, just seek comfort in. And, um, it just holds, it's, it's your witness and it takes care of you. And so the flavor of it was, um, you know, there was, uh, mint and it, which is kind of like an opening and a cooling flavor, of course. Um, and then it had a little bit of, I think it had a little bit of like citrus in it. We use a local citrus, of course. And I remember you, I think you were getting all the lemons I was that, were, the that lemons. were available locally. I know. Yes. I know. It was, uh, I got, I got over important. it. It took a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, Gingy's um, got all the lemons. Yeah. I got all the lemons. Yes. Um, 
But yeah, so you use these complex flavors to just create opening or create um, a closing sensation even. We put charcoal on top of things to just um, create something that's a a little bit cathartic and just like thoughtful and cerebral. Um, We can be playful with flavors too. There can be bright flavors. There can be really quiet ones like a chocolate can be really quiet or it can be super loud and aggressive even because you have something to say and it can do all of these things there's this momentum that can come through flavor in this way that's just uh really memorable I think I think that beyond just asking me I can I I'm humbled to say that I think that there's also people who have their favorite things at the shop just because it has created a space and time for them and transported them even maybe to their own reflection from the piece. But but chocolate is like that. And you can correct me, but I just, I kind of think almost unlike any other ingredient, just because... Uh, there's so many uh, partner flavors that you can go in so many different directions, whether it's savory, like we're having tonight, mm-hmm. or you know, sweet, or somewhere in the middle. Uh, as long as the energy is there and the, um, it, it just it just cooperates in that way. It wants to do. It wants to do. It doesn't want to just sit there like this. It wants to move. And so if you move it with these flavors, then some really magical things happen. I mean, it seems to me like one of the foods that when you put it in your mouth and it just like kind of takes you to a different place. It does. And, yeah. And that place, like, it's, it's, it's a food that, that kind of leads to contemplation because it's intense. Right? Yeah. And it's... Um, one thing that we say a lot is that... You know, with chocolate, you know, when we're doing classes and that kind of thing, you don't have to be, you don't have to use like this highfalutin language when we talk about chocolate. I mean, we can, we can get geeky about it and we can like, you know, talk about the flavonoids and like all of these different things. We can do that, but you can also say that this reminds me of fresh, like toasted croissant or this reminds me of my mom's chocolate chip cookies that I had 50 years ago. Or, you know, it remind, it, the flavor of chocolate, if it's a good chocolate, I think should always start with, it reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And then you go from there. Memory's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to open this up to, to some questions. This is a group that always has a lot to say, a lot. To, and I'd love to hear from Guy. <laughs> that would be a great place to start. Just a quick comment. Um, our most popular flavor during the uh, Valentine's siege was Midnight Pucker. <laughs> so now everybody didn't get that, you know, but those who did, they just walked away with this inner smile that was like, okay, you know, it didn't need red hearts and, you know, neon lights and all the paraphernalia that comes along with the commercial experience. But um, we delivered the message and and those that got it was just overjoyed. So What was it called again? Mid- Midnight Pucker. Midnight Pucker. <laughs> I thought I thought I heard you right. <laughs> this is the internet, so it's, it's anything goes. <laughs> so, other than classics like mint and ch- uh, coffee and chili, and now we're starting to see a lot of sea salt and cardamom play with chocolate. I think in like a commercial scale. What are your favorite ways to punctuate chocolate? Punctuate. I really love rosemary. I really, really love rosemary, and I love rosemary most when it's with honey. Um, you know, flavors um, kind of uh, kind of 
go together for me in my brain. Um, like, there's no rosemary without honey, but there's no honey without citrus either. They kind of punctuate one another. I like that word. Um, that's, that's one of my favorites, always has been. Um, it's always been a big one for us, too. Um, yeah. What is this? What is the sweetener? You, you don't use refined sugar. No. So talk. I mean, and it's difficult to think about. We are going to have chocolate in a number of savory ways tonight. We already have. But when you're working with chocolate, what do you use to sweeten it? Because it's, yeah. it's a crucial part of the, yeah. the equation. Yeah. The sweetener plays such a huge role. It's such a huge role. It's the difference between it being flat and it being elevated, I think. Um, the, we use uh, coconut sugar. We use lacuma powder. Lacuma is a fruit indigenous to South America, dried, ground down. Um, and it's sweet. Yeah. Sweet enough to... Yeah, yeah. Um, mesquite also, which is, you know, smoky. Imagine like cinnamon. Um, but it's sweet as well. So those three, you'll find those in our bars. Um, then we will also use local honey. We'll use different fruits. We use raw agave. We use anything that has a flavor, that has a flavor. We try to amplify, they amplify one another, I think, in a way. There seems to be, there's like this, this kind of, Symbiotic. Yeah, that, and on. it's yeah. historical. I mean, yeah. I, I like the, I like to taste a little sugar in coffee just to remind me that those two things kind of that bitterness yeah. and that sweetness kind of came yeah. to the yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hopefully, everybody here knows that you temper chocolate to make it have that crunch, right? So I'm wondering when you use a liquid sweetener. Does it make it harder for you to temper the chocolate? Cannot use a liquid sweetener in tempered chocolate. So when we use our um, raw agave or honey, we're using that in um, our truffles and our ganaches. Thank you. Hey. Um, so I heard you talk about the way that the the chocolate gets to you and then you start processing it now. And what I heard was you talking about butter. Did I hear that correct? Yep. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I just wanted to ask, I know that my understanding is that's probably going to shift per perhaps when you move to your new way of getting chocolate and the beans and processing at your new shop. But I'm just curious. I also hear the word vegan associated with your chocolate, which I love. Um, I know there's no milk products in it or anything like that, but I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. How that works. So um, by butter, I mean the cacao butter. Um, that's, so there's that. Um, and what was the other part of the question? Is that going to change? You, it's the process is going to change. Right now, you're yeah. getting cocoa powder. Cocoa powder and, and and butter are the kind of the two main components. Yeah. You also get nibs, which are kind of a, a raw or right. a less processed version. Yeah. And you kind of reconstitute those. Yep. To make your chocolate. Yep. That's going to change because gonna you're going to get beans, I guess, right? And break it down from and there. Are you going to have a mill, like a stone mill then? And, yeah. And you're going to yeah. be doing the whole process. So we have, so right now we have a stone mill and we have a tempering machine. So, you know, there's a spectrum. If there's a spectrum between melting down, you know, Valrona and making a chocolate bar, or if there's totally from bean to bar, we find ourselves right now somewhere in the middle, right? We're not melting down anyone else's chocolate, but we're also not. Why do you bring that up? That particular example? Did somebody, did somebody get caught the... doing that? <laughs> Transparency yes. is king. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so, so right now we're somewhere in, in the middle. We do stone grind our chocolate for up to 20 hours um, every night. Um, it's usually around 16 hours every night. And we do um, hand temper it every morning. Um, so the difference, the change will be that now there's going to be, you know, we are going to be roasting our beans. 
Um, we're going to be breaking the beans down into its parts and we're going to be making bars from that. Do you, do you have a sense of the, of the premium that you'll pay direct to these farms in, in Trinidad and in Puerto Rico compared to what the, the kind of the, 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 stand, the standard, you know, what Cargill is paying in Cote d'Ivoire? Right. Um, yeah, it's a lot higher, right. which is awesome. Right. Um, it's a living, it's beyond a living wage, which is also awesome. Um, it's, um, yeah, we're not, I don't even, we're not going to be necessarily even like saving that much money doing it this way. I think that there's a perception that, oh, well, you're getting the beans and not the raw products. Well, yes, but now there's the responsibility that you want to pay as much as you possibly can. So we're paying above the actual, like, I guess, standard premium, even for South America. So we don't get any chocolate from um, Africa. Um, I We've already established that, but... Um, there's better opportunities, I think, for independent individual farmers on this hemisphere. Um, and we intend to, uh, to, to exist in that framework um, and be as generous as we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. African, quant- African quantities tend to be much higher than we could ever hope to store. So we, it's you know, a lot more practical for us to get the product locally. Well, well, in this hemisphere, let's say. Yeah, I guess if Nestle's doing $100 billion a year, you guys are not going to... I get what it feels like not, yeah. you know, to be a drop in the bucket, but yeah. it doesn't mean that it's not... Yeah. Uh, Genji, you spoke a little bit about um, the switch to now um, roasting all the chocolate, and uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation you shared recently about uh, how it expands your flexibility to be able to work with roasted chocolate versus the the raw version. So if you could maybe speak to that. um, Yeah, sure. Um, So we started to talk about that a little bit. Roasting is um, a point in the production where you can start to play with the flavor a little bit. Um, do you want it um, kind of like, I mean, imagine a coffee bean, right? Do you want it a darker roast? Do you want it a lighter roast? Do you want it somewhere in the middle, something a little bit more neutral? Um, it, it's, a, it's a point where you can start to really bring out the different flavor nuances as well. Um, the times that I've played around with roasting, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's very nerve-wracking because it's it's seconds before between too much and you know you're making you know uh, uh, mulch from it <laughs> um, and just the right amount and I think with the countries that we've chosen and the flavor profiles that are in those in those beans. Um, respecting that and not messing with that too much. Like, I think that our history with raw chocolate, well, unroasted chocolate, um, will lend itself to our, like, natural inclination to not want to mess with it too much. Like, I still want it to um, resemble the earth that it came from. My favorite thing with chocolate is this this deep, dark, rich thing, but then you, you're reminded in the flavor that it's a fruit, yeah, and that comes when that yeah. comes through, and you're just like that to it's me so is so like, special. Yeah. It's so special. Yeah, totally. So I'm just curious where your new shop will be, and will you still be doing unroasted chocolates? Sure. So the new shop is going to be in Laraville, which is on Harford Road, um, not far from Belvedere, where we are now. Um, it's a really cool area that's coming coming up and about a lot of makers there of all various kinds of crafts and whatnot um we will still be doing unroasted chocolate i think at belvedere maybe also at the new place to some degree i don't exactly know (laughs) (laughs) 
We're going to see. We're going to find out together. As I said in the beginning, I appreciate you being our witness through this. And uh, we'll, we'll see. Hi, Gingy. Hi. <laughs> um, there seem to be a lot of similarities between, you know, cacao and coffee in terms of like the processing and this kind of like gla like vast global market that kind of underpays and people fighting against that all the time. And one thing that I learned about coffee that I thought was interesting was that a lot of people that grow coffee only ever drink what's low, like low enough quality that they can't sell. And so I guess I'm wondering, like, what's the experience of people in the origin countries with, like, is there any, like, enjoyment of chocolate or, like, what is that like for people that are in the countries that are growing it? Good question. Um, they don't eat chocolate. And if they do, it's candy. It's just candy chocolate. Dollar bars. Um, the um, $8 bars that I'm making only get back to them when we bring it back to them to show them what we did with their beans. Um, it's just like coffee. It's sad. Mm -hmm. What is their reaction when they taste a better chocolate? You know, I've had the experience a couple of times and... Um, sometimes it's not a great reaction. I mean, think about it. If you've, if you've only ever had, like, you know, Hershey's, Nestle's, and all of that, and now you're eating an 80% bar, it's kind of like, it's something to get used to, you know? It, it's something to kind of reorient yourself, and, I mean, it's disorienting to, to say, oh, this was chocolate that you've been eating, but, oh, no, this is what chocolate. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's. I think it's a lot for uh, it's a lot for them to kind of get used to. Um, I, you know, in the areas that we deal with, I'm not even sure that it's as big of a deal as I would like it to be. Like you imagine that it's going to be this like huge aha moment and this like very profound moment, and it's not really like that you don't I never leave with the impression like oh they're gonna I need to start shipping this here like they're gonna switch it doesn't really feel that way it's just kind of like okay thanks <laughs> gracias I'm gonna go and get my <laughs> get my Hershey bar yeah. Oh. yeah yeah how do you change people's minds it takes time you know it's, <laughs> this, this is uh Part of it, right? Yeah, this is part of it. Mm -hmm. You talk about what you're doing. You try mm -hmm. to be clear. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder for you, I mean, because you, you kind of launched this at a moment where it feels like the, 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 the world of chocolate was changing. And I'm really proud that, like, that you're, to me, you're kind of like Baltimore's chocolate. I mean, there are some, I would kind of, older companies that have been doing, I think, a more conventional mm -hmm. product for a long time here. Um, but in this, I, I don't know, in coffee, we talk about like third wave, which is kind of the stuff that came after Starbucks and mm -hmm. this, this deeper appreciation. Is that, what does it feel like for you? Are you a part of, do you feel like you're a part of a, a, a larger movement or is this just something you've carved out for your, you and Guy have carved out for yourselves, you know, here in Baltimore and, and gone your own way or somewhere in between? Do you feel a connection to other chocolatiers? Um, I don't necessarily. Um, I have always felt like, and this kind of goes back to the discussion of bringing other things into our craft and it not necessarily being this like pure craft where it's only this way, you know, we change our flavors every week, we're doing something different all the time. Um, it's because I, the same type of um, complexity that's in chocolate, I often feel myself, I kind of, 
I don't necessarily feel like a chocolate maker as much as I do just feel like someone who's making chocolate right now. Um, I think that the message that I'm able to offer and capable of offering will see many mediums before the last word is, is said. Um, so I think that if I were more entrenched in the industry and I was more, um, I am focused, but I'm not really like entrenched in it. I'm not in it like that. Mm-hmm. I often just kind of feel like on the periphery, doing our thing, doing our thing, let's try this, let's try this. And I can imagine that my life could look completely different in so many years. I just, I, I don't feel that kind of connection. I feel much more of a connection with the, with the, with the ethics that we've been talking about, with the overall mission of being respectful of those ethics and of other people's lives and all of that, like that's something where I'm like, what I feel, I don't know. I just, I feel more connected to that than I do the craft itself. Um, it's not to be mistaken. I, I mean, I love what I do and I love what we've created. I love what, I don't think it could have worked in any other city but Baltimore. I mean, I'm home when I'm here. Um, it couldn't have worked anywhere else. I mean, Baltimore was receptive to a new idea and they were receptive to the way that we wanted to do it. And I think that they kind of know that we just have to do it the way that we do it too. Um, uh, and I'm so grateful. And I think that all of us at the shop are just like really, really sincerely appreciative of the support that we've had over the years. Um, but it's just not the last. I, that totally resonates. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. A couple more. Good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was just going to, because of what you just said and how you answered the question about where you're going to move to Lauraville, it sounds like you're maybe not a, less of a chocolatier than just an artisan and somebody who appreciates being in, um, in a creative way that you can make things on your, in, on your, in your own space. Is that correct? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have to have um, a lot of space. Um, I have to have a lot of space and I have to have a lot of um, just just freedom. But I think that a lot of, you know, like makers and, and people who work with their hands can can relate to that. That's what, that's what I was saying. It's like, the, it sounded like your appeal of being a marvel is being around kindred spirits. Yeah. Some makers and artisans. Totally. Yeah. So I have two questions. Mm. Will you be passing on your knowledge of raw chocolate in your new space? This is my first one. And my second one was, if your last meal was Iron Chef chocolate, <laughs> what would be your savory and what would be your sweet meal? <laughs> I love your questions. <laughs> Um, okay. Yes, there will be education and classes galore in the new space. We're planning on doing a lot of programming there for home chefs, um, kid chefs, pro chefs, trying to do a lot of things with education. We like doing that. Okay. (laughs) So it's being prepared for me. Whatever I want. Doesn't have to be your last meal. (laughs) Okay. Let's say Spike was the Iron Chef. (laughs) And he was preparing this meal for me. That narrows it down a little bit for me. Um, It would be... Both would include corn. Mm. Because we both love corn. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that for the savory one, I would want you to make like a cacao nib infused broth with some kind of corn dumplings and, um... Maybe like sweet potatoes in there too somehow. 
that would be really good. We can do that. Right? Yeah, that, that could, yeah, that right? could happen. Yes, I love that. Okay. So I love that. And for the sweet, that one's a little bit harder. Um, sweet. Um, what would we do for sweet with corn? Well, it, it depends if we're talking fresh corn or are we ta right. thinking more like corn meal as a cake or... More like corn meal. Cool. Oh, yeah. So like a corn meal cake with, with like chocolate sauce. Yeah. <laughs> corn, and, corn and cacao are born to be together, by the way. Why is that? Because they're just kings. Like I, it kind of goes back to um, the Mayan creation story. Um, people are made from corn and the first gifts given were cacao. Um, and for me, that story just hits a spot with me that just makes so much sense. And then there's also with the, um, when the enslaved people came from Africa to the States, um, there's this very uh, symbolic relationship between cacao and corn in that way, too. Um, there's a lot of DNA relatives between a lot of um, different uh, foods that come from that coast to this coast. Uh -huh. um, and I just feel like there's something that traces back to that era for us in this, in this country. Because we can talk about like a Mayan creation story. We can talk about um, different Mesoamerican tales and stories and all of that. But for us sitting here, there's a really important story um, that I would love to learn more about. This actually goes back again to the question of like what I feel most connected to, but that anthropological journey um, through the transatlantic trade and then how cacao got to this hemisphere and uh, you know the story of corn also just connects all of us and I don't know, I think that it's really important. The little shot we had before, yeah, that was corn and chocolate. Yeah, did and you he, like it? I loved it, and yeah. even a little corn whiskey. Yeah, if you if you uh, if you wanted to go down that path. Uh huh. Um, whole other. Got a couple more. Um, the I have only once been around growing cacao, and it was under a canopy of trees. And so my question is, Is does all cacao grow under trees? Is it an understory crop? And if it is, if that's true, then don't you have a story to tell about uh, global warming and your, your crop, your, your, your product being something that uh, can fight global warming by encouraging the growth of trees because you grow something that grows under, needs trees to grow under? What a good question. That's a little bit of chicken and the egg with global warming and the shade crops because, so in order to combat global warming, shade crops have become incredibly um, well utilized in in uh, in cacao forests. So what I mean is, as the temperature rises and rainfall becomes more or less predictable. Um, uh, the trees themselves became in danger of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact phrase, but it's um, maybe evo trans transpiration. It's when the, the uh, moisture evaporates from the trees and from the soil, which is killing cacao crops everywhere. So in order to protect the cacao trees, these shade crops started to pop up in more and more places in order to protect them. Um, 
in doing that, you have a much more fertile soil. You have trees that aren't being blasted by the heat. You know, cacao grows pretty much like 10 degrees up and down from the equator, right? So it's a fragile it's a fragile ecosystem anyway and wants to be in pretty much a rainforest. Wants there to be a lot of humidity, wants there to be consistent high heat. Um, Right, but not direct sunlight. So the more and more climate change and global warming um, starts to mess with that equilibrium, the more that the shade crops become important for protection. Um, So the second part of your question, which is, can that in and of itself, is it possible that protecting the cacao trees has inadvertently... Um, aided in um, a a solution to global warming. I don't know. Do you think so? Is, is always a good thing. Planting more trees is a good thing. Um, right, for sure. Um, so it's also that when you see cacao grown, you know, at, at origin, it can be kind of slash and burn. It can be kind of monocropped, or it can be grown in a more diverse kind of forested setting. Mm-hmm. Same with coffee. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when you see that, you realize, like, if this is done thoughtfully, it can be a benefit, and if it's done poorly, it can contribute to, be a real you know, detriment. loss of diversity and probably ultimately climate change. Yeah, sure. I wish I could speak more to that. That's that's my, that's my understanding of it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely something for all of us to understand. There's there's so many levels that all of us have an opportunity, I think, to think about when it comes to what what beans they're eating. Yeah. Um, so this is maybe more of a, a nod than a question, but you were speaking about um, s- stories that your chocolate tells and stories like Mayan corn or uh, American Indian corn that went into some of the cacao crossing stories. But I think that um, you know we're really talking about understanding um, and connecting to other cultures and communities. And one of the, the nod I'm coming to is that I think here in Baltimore, what's been exciting for me to witness also is your collaboration in the community and creating a community of artisans, whether it be an event where you bring together tastes and scents and textures and create sort of a multi-person you know, person experience. Uh, but that, that's been, um, for us in Baltimore here, a very exciting part of your whole growth and expansion is creating community, um, you know, which we see in other artistic venues. So thanks for that ongoing effort. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's been a big joy for us, for sure, in every way. Uh, greetings. Uh, a question. Given the history of ch- cacao, do you know of the uh, medicinal properties of cacao? And the reason I ask that is because I'm in the cannabis space, and we recently infused chocolate with distillate. So part of my marketing plan in the future is to kind of like explain the properties of cacao and how it relates to cannabis and its healing properties. So can you speak to like from ancient times, how the, the you know, Mayans and Africans used that for healing? Over say taste. <laughs> I can. Um, actually, more so in present times, um, its healing properties were really secondary to the royal properties of it in Mayan times, in ancient times, in Mesoamerican lore. Um, and what we know about it, just from where Theo Brahma has been found in different um, uh, um, digs and finding old vessels and things like that, it was really pretty strictly for royal consumption as appreciation, as reverence, um, the health benefits, I think that this could be true for a lot of things consumed um, in primitive times, was secondary. It wasn't the focus. It wasn't the why. Um, it's really more present day, present day meaning you know, this, uh, this century, 
um, where the health benefits became much more um, evident. Um, the most, uh, the most um, striking one is that it has, and I don't know a whole lot about the cannabis space, so I don't know how it really connects, but the magnesium in chocolate and cacao is higher than any place else in the world. You can't find it that high anywhere. Um, there's a host of vitamins and minerals that that play that role for cacao. It's it's a bona fide superfood, as you probably know. I feel like that's probably why you even thought to thought to ask. Um, you know the oxygenating properties of cacao. It's proven to expand your blood vessels so that more blood can come through. Um, in times of in times of need, so you'll have a lot of athletes, anyone who needs to get more oxygen, cacao is a great thing to consume. Um, what else? I mean, there's there's a million really, but those are the ones that stick out for me in this moment. But yeah, it really is a more current trend to pay attention to to that. Yeah, yeah. That feels like a very modern question to ask. Right? Like, yeah. What's it going to do for me? It tastes really, really good, but what is it? Yeah, people didn't, peep, like in the things that I've read and the conversations that I've had, um, it didn't really, it wasn't for that. It wasn't for the health benefits. It's, a, it's always been a uh, luxury food, drink. Drink was what it was. Yeah. Well, I want to say this conversation is why we do this. And I want to thank you so much for being here. And thanks again for joining us tonight for our conversation at Artifact Car.